Our scripture today is 1 Kings chapter 19, and I'll begin reading with verse 1. It's a part of a much larger cycle of events called the Elijah-Elisha cycle. And it's just the stories of what God was doing. A lot of times in the Bible, we kind of think there's a miracle on every page, but there isn't. And when you really start looking closely at the Scripture, you find that there were only certain times in which God did what you and I would call the miraculous or the supernatural. And all of it had to do with the time of new revelation. And you just think about when Jesus came into the world. It was a time of the greatest revelation. And those miracles, the supernatural, accompanied that revelation. It was the same way with Elijah and Elisha. And some of the things that they did are truly astounding and amazing. But they were human beings, just like you and me, and they dealt with the same things that you and I deal with. And we see that today in this passage of Scripture. The background is that Elijah has been a fearless, faithful prophet of the Lord. And he has stood in the face of every kind of opposition from the king and queen of Israel, from the prophets of Baal, from the culture that was seeking to flood Israel with false gods, Elijah was faithful unto God. And then he dealt with depression and anxiety and discouragement and fear. Let's listen to 1 Kings chapter 19. Now Ahab, the king of Israel, told Jezebel, the queen of Israel, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets by the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, wouldn't you, uh, ironically, wouldn't you love to get a message like this? So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like the life of one of those dead prophets. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in south Israel, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed. He prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my dead ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord 
That phrase, by the way, is a special phrase in the Old Testament that describes an appearance of God in some kind of perceived human form. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, which we usually think of as Mount Sinai. He reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. The Lord said, go out, stand on the mountain, in the presence of the Lord, for the presence of the Lord is about to pass by. We live in a world that is filled with discouragement, depression, anxiety, and fear. The federal government this week sent out a directive. Listen to this. Most everybody in here is under 65. They sent out a directive this week that everyone under age 65 should be checked for depression and anxiety. Now, I want to tell you, I think that's going a little bit too far, but it's telling us that there is a huge amount of depression and anxiety in the country, and all you have to do is look around and look at the intentional overdoses and the suicides that are taking place around us, and we all recognize that there is a great deal of depression and anxiety on every hand, and even we are feeling it and struggle with those things. Today we're going to talk about the challenge of living peacefully, peacefully on the inside, at peace with God, at peace with one another, at peace with ourselves, at peace in our family, and at peace in our relationships, of living peacefully in a time, in a culture, in a nation of fear and anxiety, discouragement, and depression. But I want to tell you, I want to tell you this message is not a message about anxiety and depression and discouragement. It's a message about hope. I, I read a man by the name of G.K. Chesterton. You may have read something by him. He lived about 100 years ago. He was an Englishman, a writer, an art critic, a professor. He was a theologian. He wrote a great deal about the Christian faith. And one thing that he said sounds like it has nothing to do with the Christian faith, but it has everything to do with it. He was writing about fairy tales. And here's what he said. I'm going to paraphrase it. He says, fairy tales do not teach children 
that dragons exist. He said children already know that dragons exist and monsters and evil beings and evil things. Here's what he said. Fairy tales tell us that the dragons can be killed. And that's what scripture does. And that's what church does. And that's what, what preaching does. And that's what the hope that we have in Christ does. It, it gives us hope. And here's the point. Here's the sermon in a sentence for today. There are dragons in life, but those dragons can be killed. We have hope. No matter what you're going through, and here's the way I know about our congregation, everybody is going through something or the other. For somebody else looking at your life, they may be thinking it's a little thing, but you're not thinking it's a little thing. And our God, is a God of hope. Our God gives us hope and he never takes it away from us. He gives us the hope that we need and hope that we want in life. A number of years ago, some of you heard me say this before, a number of years ago, I, I tried to say, how would I sum up what it means to me to know Christ? What it means for me personally. And here's what I came up with. Uh, very easy to come up with it. Here's what I say about my life in Christ. That is, when I trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior, I didn't identify what, who this was, but the Holy Spirit came to dwell within me, and I have never been alone. And the second thing is I've never been without hope. God gives us hope. This message is about hope. This message is about killing the, the dragons. This message is about the hope that is in Christ. When we're in the midst of a very depressed age, when we're in the midst of a very anxious age, this passage of Scripture is here not to tell us that depression exists, but that God can help us in the midst of all of the things that we struggle with in life. And so I want to give you five ways in which God helps us in the midst of discouragement and anxiety and depression and fear. The first is that you have to live in the present. Think of how we always want to live. We either want to live in the past or in the future. But we do our best not to live in the present. But we find strength when we live in the present. We find hope when we live in the present. The theologians would say it this way. In Christ Jesus, all of our past has been forgiven. It is behind us. God forgives it and he remembers it no more. Just imagine that. All of those things that bring you shame and hurt, 
God has forgiven it in Christ Jesus, and he remembers it no more. My past is taken care of. My past is forgiven. Well, think about in Christ. What about our future? Well, my future is secured in the blood of Jesus shed for me on the cross. My future is secure in knowing that that I belong to him and that when I die, I'm going to be with him forever. That death is going to be simply a passage for resurrection life. That death is simply going to be leaving this life of anxiety and depression and discouragement and fear and having a life in which none of those exist and temptation does not exist and sin does not exist it's almost of all the things that you can imagine that are unimaginable I think that's what comes highest and everything has been promised to us in Christ Jesus so my past is forgiven and my future is secure by the way do you know there's a verse in scripture that says that this book first John that this book was written that you may know that you have eternal life when I think of things you ought to know everybody everybody here ought to know do I have eternal life or do I not have eternal life? Do I have the hope and the promise of eternal life? Believers should know. I have been promised by the blood of Jesus that I have a life that is everlasting and everlasting has way more to do with quality than it does with quantity. You and I, to deal with the struggles of life, need to be living in the present the problem here was that Elijah is dealing with the past and the future but not living in the present he is running for his life he has a fear about him he is afraid and so there's some value in knowing that even a man of God like Elijah could suffer all of the things that you and I suffer there's a real value of that but there is a greater value in knowing that our God knows us when we are afraid and when we are running and when we are hiding out in caves and when we're sleeping under a broom tree and God knows all about us. Live in the present. The second thing that you find in this passage of Scripture and dealing with your, your discouragement and anxiety is don't wallow in your pain now just for full disclosure here I had to look up the word wallow to make sure I was using it right because I grew up in an agricultural area and and we raised hogs for a while and I know about hogs wallowing in the mud but do you know what that's what a lot of us do too and we wallow in our pain that's that's what Elijah was doing I hope you'll read the rest of first Kings chapter 19 Elijah over and over again says says I'm I'm the only one left 
Ahab, Jezebel, and others, they've killed all of the prophets. I'm the only one left. You are wallowing in your pain when you can say, I'm the only one. Nobody cares. Nobody has any desire to do anything right, and I'm the only one who is left. When God appeared to Elijah, here's what he said. Elijah, don't say you're the only one left. There are 7,000 people in Israel who have not bowed down to Baal. They are my people. But Elijah said it again and again. Lord, just let me die. I'm no better than my ancestors. They all died. I'll die as well. Don't wallow in your pain. And here's what I mean. You know this. I don't have to tell you this. You know this. The more you live in your pain, the bigger it gets. The more you think about the obstacles, the more, the more impenetrable they are. You, you can't get over them. You can't get around them because in your mind, they are so much bigger than anything else. And that's what Elijah was doing. And that's what you and I do. And we make them bigger. And so what was the remedy for that for Elijah? What did God do? God appeared to him. God showed him who he was. Because you and I, Look at our problems and we focus on them instead of looking at our remedy and focusing on him. Scripture does deal with all of the needs that we have. It is amazing. It is truly amazing. All of our problems, generally speaking, and maybe even specifically speaking, are spiritual problems. And if we go to Holy Scripture and we let God work in our lives, we start seeing the answers to the problems that we have. Don't wallow in your, in your pain. Try to get beyond that as quickly as you can. And I say try that because we all are human beings. We have human emotions. We struggle with all kinds of things. We look at the world. Our emotions get the better of us sometimes. And we can't see the, 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 the truth. So do your best not to, to wallow in your pain, but quickly get to the truth. Deal with facts, not feelings. Remember that your problems, your anxieties, your emotions, your hurts, remember none of that gets better with age. It gets better with dealing with the facts. God created me. God knew me before I was knitted together in my mother's womb. Those are the words of Jeremiah. God knows me. He knows my name. He knows everything about me. He knows my circumstances. He knows everything that is happening about me. God loved me enough that he sent his one and only son. I got, a, I got an email this week from a person who used to live here, and she's struggled. I, I've known through the years that she struggled with emotions, and she says, I, 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 know that God do, I know that God doesn't hate me, but sometimes I 
feel like he does. And then she started describing the things that she's gone through. She is a good person. But she describes exactly what we struggle with. So my answer was, do your best to focus on the facts and not on your feelings. Focus on the facts of what God has done, of what Scripture tells us. And I ended saying this, if you had been the only person ever created, God would have sent Jesus, his son, to die just for you. Don't wallow in your pain. The third step is this. Do what you already know to do. Just think about this. So here is Elijah. He's afraid. He is running for his life. He is, I mean, we can read through this, can't we? He's anxious. He's afraid. He's depressed. He's discouraged. I'm the only one left. They've killed all of the other prophets. I'm the only one left. All of those things were common to Elijah. So when God comes to him, what does he do? He gives him something to eat and something to drink. When people are depressed, what do they want to do? Well, either they want to eat everything in sight or they don't want to eat anything. And most people who are depressed want to go to bed and sleep and pull the cover over their head. And that is not an exaggeration and that is not a small thing to talk about. That is exactly what happens. So what does God say to Elijah? Elijah, here's, here's bread. Here's hot bread. Eat the bread. Elijah, here's water. Drink the water. You're going to need this for energy. Elijah, you're going to need to rest, but you're also going to need to get up. When I talk to people who go through depression, I say you need sleep, and then you need to get up, and you need to get up early, and you need to open the curtains, and you need to pull the blinds, and you need to walk outside, and you need to get in the sunshine, and you need to lift up your hands to, toward heaven, toward the sun, and take in the full measure as if you were worshiping God and praising God, and that wouldn't hurt either. You need to get out and do that, and then you need to find other people and be around then, and you need to find somebody else to focus on than yourself. And you know what? You know all that stuff. And Elijah knew all of that stuff. Do what you already know to do. And guess what? You know more than that. You also know, get into the Bible. And let God speak to you and spend time in prayer and pray for other people. Pray about their needs. Be an intercessor. Do the things that you know to do. There's a fourth thing about this, and it leads straight from number three to number four, and that is stay close to caring people. 
Get around people who know you and care for you and love you. And if you think they don't, you are badly mistaken. Stay close to caring people. I hope you read, I hope you read the Lanyap every week. It's on the back side of your sermon notes. And this week I write about connect groups and mental health. Now, I, my guess is not many people have ever written about that. But I think it's a huge thing to do with mental health. Good mental health comes when we know people and we're around people and we're involved with people and we're, we're a part of everything that's going on in other people's lives. When God created us, here's what it said. It is not good to be alone. The interesting thing is, if you read the Lanyap, when God created the heavens and the earth, the, the solar system, and everything that was created, he said every day, and it was good, it was good, it was good. And when he gets to the end of it, creating human beings, he said it's very good. Then you get to chapter 2. Chapter 1 is about the big world and about the creation of the heavens and the earth. But Genesis chapter 2 is about the little world. And the little world is your family, whoever that might be, one person in the house or, uh, but, or a, a, an empty nest, a husband and a wife or a, a full family, and it's about your kitchen table. And the interesting thing is, God says, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. And in Genesis chapter 2, God says it's not good. So what's not good? It's not good for a person to be alone. And so God made the woman to come alongside the man to be with him and for them to walk through life together. We all need to stay close to caring people. And for me, our connect groups are Bible teaching places, praying places, blessing places, encouraging places and it is a place where we bless one another by caring for one another and that is good mental health why do you think God created the church no church existed until Jesus came upon this rock I build my church why does the Bible say that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together? Why are we told about the church? Why is the church told how to relate to one another? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Be kind, compassionate, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Why is all of that in Scripture? It's because God knows what we need, and we need one another. Stay close to caring people. 
But do you know what will help your mental health more than anything else? It's not that people stay close to you. I mean, that's great. But it's when you stay close to them. And when your existence is, I am here to bless somebody else. Why do you, why do you go to church? You ever think that? You ever get in the car and say, I, I, I get up the same time every Sunday morning. I get in the car at the same time. I'm leaving the house at the same time. I'm pulling up. I park in the same place if I can get it. Every time I come into the worship service, I sit in the same place if I can get it. Every time, why do I do this? You ever think about that? Why do I do this? Why do I give an offering? Why do I give so much money? Why do I do this? Well, I think about those things. And I know you're saying, well, Waylon, you know you're the pastor of the church. You probably ought to come to church. <laughs> but why? Why do we do that? Martha leaned over to me in the first service, and she said, I love this place. And I love this people. And that's part of why we come to church. And we come to church because we need the word of God. And we come to church because we are blessed by it. And we come to church because this is a place of hope. That in Christ there is hope. In Christ alone, our hope is found. But it's also a place where we get to bless somebody else. And, and the value of that, there is no price for what it means that you get to bless somebody else. We go to church. We have connect groups to stay connected with people and to bless the people around us. The fifth thing to do is to stay close to God and to listen to his word. Let his voice speak unto you. What was the remedy for Elijah? The remedy for Elijah is the word of God, the voice of God speaking to him the things of God. God had a work for Elijah to do. Elijah thought his life was over. Elijah thought he had done everything that he could do. But that wasn't the case at all. Isn't it amazing? Elijah says, just let me die. My life is over. They want to kill me too. I'm the only one left. Maybe you're saying that. You know, all of the great things of my life have happened. I'm coming to the last quarter of my life. I'm coming to the last days of my life. Everything good has already happened. It may very well be that in the providence of God, the greatest things you're going to do are going to happen sometime in the future. Have you ever anointed a king Elijah anointed two after he was running from Ahab and Jezebel. God said to Elijah, get up, 
What are you doing here, Elijah? And I think what that means is, what are you doing here wallowing in your pain and and anxiety? What are you doing here? I've got work for you to do. Get up and do it. Go to Syria and anoint a new king of Syria. And go to Israel in Samaria and anoint a new king over Israel. Have you ever anointed a prophet? And God said to Elijah, Elijah, Elisha is going to follow after you, and you're going to anoint him as a prophet, and he's going to speak the word of the Lord. It is very possible that Elijah's greatest works were those that happened after this time. And it may be that it's going to be the, that way with you. No matter what you've done in the past, no matter what you haven't done in the past, no matter how old you are or how young you are, it may be that God's greatest work is coming in your life because you are hearing, you're staying close to God and you are hearing his word. Elijah, get out of the cave. Because the word of the Lord is coming to you and you are going to experience his presence. There is hope in the midst of a world that is really hard to live in. And that hope is by knowing Christ, by staying close to him, by letting him speak his word into our hearts. I always have a goal for you. Here's the goal for today. My goal is is that right now, in just a moment, as I pray and as we're singing, and that makes it a very special time, and I hope you'll stay with us for that to happen. I hope that you will say to God, God, life is hard right now. But I trust you in the midst of all this. I trust you, God, because you are God. And I know that you have my best interest at heart. And I'm not going to deal with my pain. I'm going to trust you for my healing and for my hope. And that's for all of us. And I hope you'll come to the front and pray and pray with a pastor. And I know that in a congregation this size, there are a lot of people who've not yet come to faith in Christ, not yet sealed that commitment to say, I put my trust in him and I give him my life and I confess that he is my Lord and my master. And I want to ask you to do that today, to walk to the front, to make that decision for the Lord. Let's pray together, please. God, thank you for the holy word that you give us. Thank you that it has to do with life and it is filled with hope and it gives us strength and help for every day that we live. And God, we know that we need to put all of ourselves in your hands 
and let you be in charge of our lives. God, please bless people now who are going to be praying. God, in the midst of this pain, I trust you. And God, bless those people who are going to say, and I give my life to you, and I confess my faith that Jesus,